this morning, I uh, want to continue sharing with you about the gospel. If you tried to listen to the sermon from last week, you might have had a little difficulty. It was an upload issue, not a recording issue. So I understand that it is there and available for you um, if you were hoping to pick that up. The series is about uh, the gospel is what distinguishes the people of God. It is, it is how you can identify the people of God. It's not necessarily by what we say. It's not necessarily uh, by what we do, but it's about who we are, how we live out life. And this is kind of what we moved into last week. And we, we started with this idea that the truth of the gospel is critical and it needs to shape, uh, uh, the truth needs to shape our experiences, not the other way around. And Jesus wants us to lean more on his truth than on our experiences. And when we come to question one, he wants it to be, let your experiences hang. And the reason is, when we come to Christ, the gospel is not about uh, a moment it's not about I have a crisis, therefore I'm going to invite Jesus into my life, if you already have Jesus in your life, asking Jesus to help you in that moment, and that it is about that moment. The, the gospel is your life spread across eternity. And so when God is working in your life, when he's working in my life, he is working in the whole of your life, not in one moment. He's working in every moment. And so it will change how circumstances are viewed, that we understand the gospel. Jesus shared with them an understanding of coming to the Father, a way home, a way reconciled with God is only through him. It's only accepting what he offers and then stepping into that and bringing our life into his life, bringing our life into his life. Not our addiction, not our hope for love, not our anger issue, not any of those things. But we are called and invited, bring your life into the power of the gospel. Bring your whole life into the reality, the hope, the renewal, and the power of the gospel. Bring your whole life. Jesus says, I am that way. I am that life. And the scripture reveals, if we look at it as a whole, that the gospel is heard. We can hear the gospel. We can hear it. We can understand. We can hear it. We can understand it. That it is the, it is the way that Jesus made for us to be restored with the Father and for our being, our life, to be totally changed. It's in that light that we experience the gospel. And I want to make a distinction here for kingdom people, which I hope all of you are. But we, we have an understanding of the kingdom that there's this already not yet quality of the kingdom. Uh, people, the, the kingdom is here. The power of the kingdom is here. The rule and reign of God is present. But there's still death. There's still suffering. There's still sickness. There's still injustice. 
The kingdom is not the same thing as the gospel. The gospel is us being restored or, or brought into the kingdom. We can't, we can't look at life and say there's reversals, there's difficulties, there's prayers that aren't answered the way I think they should be. Therefore, the kingdom is suspect or the gospel is suspect. You see, the gospel is never suspect. The gospel is not on a performance grade. It is not a part of you deciding, is Jesus powerful? The gospel is always at work in every circumstance. And we find that's where its power is. So we experience the gospel. We speak the gospel. We do the gospel. And this is what makes the gospel revealed is when every aspect of it is flowing in the people of God. It's what makes us the people of God. Peter, 1 uh, Peter 3.13, about speaking the gospel, but bring your hearts, uh, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. We shared this verse last week. There needs to be a clear understanding that there is an expectation by God and by the gospel that you have a hope. You will have a hope. And it will be a visible hope. It will be an active hope. It will be a verbal hope. It will be a realized hope. We are hopeful. And that hope is visible. So it has to be something that is action-oriented. If, if I have a hope, then I will be, if it's a true hope, I will be living it. I will be acting on it. And that's the expectation of the gospel. The expectation of the gospel is that your hope will be visible and it will raise questions. You know, um, Roger, uh, last week, shared with you uh, a bit about a vision he had, but he shared something with me after church I thought was interesting. He said he has a guy working for him, uh, and they do industrial painting, and this guy is, you know, smiling and laughing, and, and just like day after day, there's just like something a little weird about him. He's not being normal, and so finally Roger says, What's up with you, man? What's going on with you? He said, I found Jesus. You see, he had to give an answer. He was a little too different. He was suspect. There is something different about you. He had to give an accounting for how he was experiencing life. And, and Roger said, you know, even if something was done wrong uh, and I was making him redo something, I was making him redo work for other people, just this big smile and yes, sir, and I'll get it done. You see, he was different. The circumstances weren't different. He was different. And it was different enough and it was powerful enough and it was pleasant enough that he had to give an accounting Tell me why you're like this. And I thought about it. I thought about it.
thought about that. Now, I want you to just kind of think, you know, I know you don't have a perfect memory. Probably most of us don't. Think over the last year how many times somebody has required of you an accounting for your hope or your joy. How many times has rejoicing called you to account for what's going on with you? I want you to take that number, whatever that number is, and set it aside. And then I want you to think back over the past year, how many times somebody has said to you, what's wrong with you? What's up with you? What's going on with you? Which number is bigger for you or me? In my conversation with someone, they could not remember somebody asking them to give an account for their rejoicing or their joy or, or anything that would, re, that would reflect a gospel revealed. Yet daily, this person said, people are asking me, what's up with you? What's going on with you? Why are you so down? You see, that's what the gospel came to change. It was how circumstances are making you feel. How circumstances are making you react. How your experiences are driving your reality. And the gospel is not. You see, that's where we are called to live. We gave the accounting in Acts 5. We're not going to go over it, but just a bullet form. They were jailed for speaking the gospel. They were rejoicing for being jailed for speaking the gospel because they had been called to speak the gospel. Why? Because they were experiencing the gospel and because they were revealing the gospel because their joy and their hope was on display, and it was offending the enemy. So they're arrested. They have to give an accounting to also the religious officials who then beat them and then demanded they not go and speak about this Jesus again. You see, when the Holy Spirit broke them out of jail, he said, go stand in the temple courts. Tell the people about this new life. Not new circumstances. About this new life. About this life that is not chained or enslaved to the circumstances of your life. The Holy Spirit is calling them. You are the people of God. You have this hope. You have this joy, this peace. You have the gospel. You have the deal breaker. You have the game changer. It is innate in you. The circumstances are no longer really in play. Now go tell the world this good news about this new life. Go let the world know about this new life. Let the secret out 
Give an accounting even before somebody asks you. And they did. And they were beaten. And in verse 41 and 42, it says, They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And it says, They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. They never stopped revealing the gospel. They never re- relinquished the authority of the gospel. They continued to press in to that hope, that joy, that peace, that love that was empowering them to live above their experiences and circumstances. You know, I'm reminded of the story of the Israelites when God rescued them out of Egypt. How they were slaves in Egypt. But, you know, you can be accustomed to being a slave. It has become your normal, being a slave. Being under the rule of another. And every time it got hard, every time it looked impossible, every time it got difficult, they longed to go back to slavery. We've pulled it from Numbers chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Uh, and this was a hardship, and, and they were told to go and claim the land, and it looked too impossible, and they were a great big giant people over there, and they're going to all be killed. They know it for sure. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. They wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives, our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Our circumstances, if we allow them, they will dictate our joy. They will dictate our peace. They will dictate whether you're a failure or a success. The circumstances will dictate, are you a valued person? Are you not? Are you smart? Are you a fool? Are you liked? Are you loved? You see, circumstances want to do all that for you. They want to describe you. Circumstances, if you allow them, will control you. Circumstances are very real and very personal, aren't they? Your circumstances will tell you 
then in your dark place, not only should you not have joy, but it would actually be inappropriate. When you lose a loved one, to experience joy would be inappropriate. But it says in the scripture that Jesus was tortured and died for the joy set before him. Joy is a gift of God. It's an intrinsic, built-in part of the gospel, and we should never relinquish it for any circumstance. In the Old Testament, we even see people who know how to mourn in the joy and in the presence of the Lord. Our feelings are real, but our gospel is more real and more powerful. What does your gospel do? I kind of broke this into two pieces. You can see if you fit one of these or somewhere in between. Your gospel might be for the life to come. You know? Uh, It ensures you that you have an eternal life with God. Now, when we take that path, and that's really what the gospel does, that is the line share, that is the the big blade of the gospel, then what we're really doing is we're relying on our rules-based orientation, the way we really do operate by rules. And we live out our life as regular people. But we have an added guilt and shame for certain elements of the gospel or certain elements of God's character because we're trying at least sometimes to live like that. It's true. The gospel provides an eternal life. How does it do that? Is it a pill? No. What it does is it restores us in right relationship with the Father. It enables us to walk with him, to be like him, to learn from him, to listen to him, to operate like him, to hear him, to act on his behalf. The gospel does all that stuff. Eternal life is just a part of it. Eternal life is a byproduct of being in right relationship with the Father. It's just a byproduct. You just get together and it never stops because there's nothing that is capable of stopping it. Or number two, it's all about today. It's about changing your life today. We try hard, we rely on God to change our lives, to be better uh, for us because we have the favor of the Lord. I don't know how many times I have heard and I've probably said to somebody who is in trouble, they're struggling, their life is full of drama, they have lots of mistakes, lots of issues going on, and your thought is, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Wow, you're, you're screwed up. You need Jesus. 
You know, you got this going on, this going on, this going on, this going on, this going on. Oh, man, you know, forget it. You need Jesus. That's a true statement. But what does that statement say to someone? If you have Jesus, your life wouldn't look like this. Might be true. I don't know. It might look worse. From a standpoint of circumstances. You see, the point is not, your life will not have drama if you have Jesus. That's not the point of the gospel. It's not the selling feature of the gospel. The selling feature of the gospel is you need Jesus because to walk in your shoes and to walk in your life and to experience renewal and to experience joy and to find patience and kindness and to be a blessing to all the people around you, to be a light shining instead of a, of a sucking dark hole of emotion, you need Jesus. I shared with you about the, the pastors from Iran. Their life was not short of drama. They're planting churches in Iran. They're getting arrested in Iran. They're being tortured in Iran. No drama there. They need Jesus. Is it to get out of jail? Is it so that the guards won't see them? Is it so that they can plant churches in bliss and not be affected by the regimes that work there? No. They are there to experience the gospel and to reveal the gospel and to answer for the gospel. The same as you and I. And it will bring drama in their life, and it did. But how they operate in that drama matters. And when he's in prison and the guard comes and says, we just killed your wife. And instead of hating, instead of looking at God, you failed me. I trusted you. My circumstances are sucking. You failed. The gospel didn't work. He tells the guard when he sees the guard limping, if you let me pray for you, God will heal you. And God healed him. Healed his captor. Healed his torturer. And in that moment, the gospel is shining, bright, undeniably. In that moment, there is a demand now for an answer from the guard. You have experienced kindness and love and blessing in light of who you've been. Now, his wife was not killed. His wife was in prison and was experiencing the Lord. In worship, she said that was the most powerful worship in this concrete block she had ever experienced. And the guards are actually the ones that helped them escape. No drama in their life, huh? 
just guns and angry people and judgment. You see, when we go back to trusting circumstances or the fact that we need to deal with our circumstances in reality because they are real, we go back to Egypt. We go back to being enslaved to our circumstances. And they're going to tell you when to love someone, when to resent them. When to give them the cold shoulder and the silent treatment. When it's okay to let your guard down and just cuss them out. Yes, circumstances can meet the moment. But that's going back to Egypt. We have been set free. We've been set free. I have been set free to love my enemies. I have been set free to not have to judge anyone ever again in my life. I don't have to judge anyone. I don't even have to judge me. The gospel is not about the life to come. It's not about today. The gospel is about your life, all of it, today, tomorrow, and forever. Revealing and reflecting the power and the love of the Father flowing in you and through you. That's what the gospel does every second of your being. It is about changing your life today, but not necessarily your circumstances. You see, even when we're living for our life, it really comes back to being a regular person with added guilt and shame. In Romans chapter 6, starting in the middle part of of verse 3. And all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were immersed into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. A new life approaches your circumstances totally different than your old life will. That's what the gospel is about. Not changing your circumstances. And it will change some of your circumstances. It's just not the acid test of the gospel. It did my circumstances all get easier and better. A number of years ago, I was talking to a pastor, a former pastor. He was no longer a pastor. We were joking around about a sermon topic 
And he said, that'd make a good sermon. I said, I think it would too. Why don't you come down and preach it with me? He said, oh, no. Not me. I said, why? Why not? He said, Bill, I tried it. It didn't work. It didn't work. The gospel didn't work. You see, his gospel was connected to the circumstances. God failed the circumstance test. And in that light, there was no room for a gospel that didn't fix circumstances because circumstances decide whether I'm successful, whether I'm a failure, whether God is successful or God is a failure. Circumstances have now become the acid test, the litmus test, the final authority on who is real, who isn't, who has power, who doesn't. Circumstances. They become the idol and the God of our faith. When we surrender, when we yield to difficult circumstances, instead of pressing in with joy and rejoicing, instead of using the truth of the gospel and saying, no, in these circumstances, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to step into the gospel. I'm going to allow the spirit that dwells in me to bring a new chapter, a new story in these difficult circumstances. Years ago, I worked in sales uh, for a company, and I went in one morning and uh, found out I was fired for not enough sales. And I felt like the Lord just kind of arrested me. I said, okay. So I drove home. And I'm, I'm, I'm rejoicing with the Lord. And uh, I stopped, picked up some clothes uh, from the cleaners on the way home, went home. As I walked in the door, the phone's ringing. And it's this uh, person from my job, my, my ex-job. He said, do you want a job? I said, well, I am looking for one. What do you got? He said, well, your boss just got fired and they want to hire you in his spot. I said, well, I drove all the way home. I'm not coming back today, but I'll show up tomorrow. But I could have been in the soup line. You see, the circumstances cannot dictate my failure, my success, God's failure, God's success. And what you're going to find, you will do better in circumstances if you're in joy and peace in them. You will do different. You will live differently in circumstances. You will make different decisions 
in your circumstances if the gospel is at work in each one of them. First Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 8. Paul's talking to the people in Thessalonica. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message, this is the gospel message, in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. That's where the joy comes from. We don't conjure it. We can't create it. But we invite the joy of the Lord to be dominant in that moment. In this severe suffering, they were experiencing joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Do you see what has happened? You see, it's not their signs and wonders as we think of them. It wasn't that they prayed for the sick. It's that in their suffering, they were experiencing joy. In the moment of severe suffering, they were experiencing the gospel. And it says, not only was it an encouragement and a testimony to all the church uh, in those two cities, but beyond those cities, that's what the Lord does when we operate beyond circumstances. That's what the world will notice. That's what the world sees. Years ago, I uh, took a uh, fairly famous evangelist out to dinner. Uh, I picked him up at the airport, and my job was to feed him dinner. Uh, and he was going to be speaking in Houston. And uh, I took him to a pretty nice restaurant. And, you know, I had heard him speak before. I was in awe of this person, their power, their faith, uh, their testimony. Dinner with him was terrible. He complained about the food. He complained about the service. He complained about what was on the menu. He complained about what was not on the menu. He complained about everything. I felt like I just couldn't please this guy. You know, then go to these meetings with him. It was hard for me. It was hard to sit in these meetings. Because what I heard through all of his words was his complaints. How seemingly ungrateful and judgmental he was. Power will not replace what the gospel does here. The gospel makes you special and amazing and powerful.
the Thessalonians became an inspiration throughout the whole region because they experienced and revealed the reality of the gospel in a person and in a people. Hebrews 10, starting in the middle of verse 32. You endured in great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed, exposed to insults and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew yourselves, you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. That's what the gospel looks like. You see, they, you live this way without burning up, without everybody owing you, without God owing you. You live this way out of an abundance that the gospel provides for you and I. So often we accept the gospel on an intellectual level. We, we understand we're not a perfect person. We understand that Jesus was. We believe that. And we, we, we willingly accept um, what he's done in that light. But so often our gospel stops there. And it leaves us burdened with guilt and shame. That, that we're not really accepting that reality that the gospel was designed and created so that we would live a full and abundant life in any circumstance. If you look at the first century people, you're noticing here as we read, you see, they did not connect the gospel with better circumstances. That didn't even compute with them. You don't see that anywhere in the scripture. My, I found easy street when I found Jesus. They expected hardship. They saw it as a part of circumstances, a part of reality, a part of life. They saw themselves as pawns in the hands of God. That's how they saw themselves. For many of us today, circumstances are really important in how we're going to view Jesus. And suffering demands that we rethink this Jesus thing. The absence of a voice, the absence of a feeling, I'm rethinking the Jesus thing. It's not working for me. but it hasn't been given a voice in many of us. It hasn't been given an expression. We haven't allowed it to produce the fruit of the Father. I, I don't know if I shared this last week. I don't think I did, but I pulled up at, at uh, Lowe's. I'm getting out. I'm in a hurry. And there's a guy on the other side. So it was the windy day, the really super windy day. And uh, there was a guy with a truck just parked across from me, and I could see he was about to load a bunch of sheets of sheetrock. And it's blowing, you know, 35 miles an hour out there. And I felt like the Lord said, he needs help. Go help him. I was in a hurry. I was late. 
That's always my story, isn't it? In a hurry and late. <clears throat> but it sets me up to do God things all the time or fail at doing God things. Anyway, so I say, so I'm like, you know, I'm really busy. And I felt like the Lord said, no, you need to do it. And I mean, in that moment, I made this decision. Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to begrudgingly go over and help. I'm going to go help this guy. And I was, I was going over there. I said, hey, can I give you some help? He said, oh, yeah, I really appreciate it. It took both of us in that wind to get the sheetrock into the back of his truck. We loaded the sheetrock up. And, uh, and so I, I hurried on. Uh, no, there was no praying and fire from heaven or anything like that. But I hurried on. And as I'm walking away, just my heart just exploded with joy. And I just start praising God. I'm walking across the parking lot, almost kind of a dance, praising God at Lowe's. It was just bizarre to me. I thought, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like to move and operate in the gospel with your heart. It changed everything in that moment. First Peter. Into an inheritance that can never be per- uh, never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You see how they don't separate hardship and the gospel? They don't see gospel as, as an easier street, a way out. They see it as a way to be relevant and to walk with God. You see, when people talk about, let's be real. We're going to be relevant. We're going to be real. You know, to be real is to be real in your circumstances. If God changes all of my circumstances, then I don't have to change, do I? Nothing has to change about me. I can be selfish. I can be arrogant. I can be greedy. It can be all these things. And I can just ask God to, you know, help me with money, help me with this, help me with that. Nothing has to change about me. But the gospel demands everything change about me. The gospel says, we're going to make you like your father in heaven. And he's really different than you, Bill. But this is something he's committed to, and this is something we can do. That's real change. Circumstances changing is not real change. <clears throat> this is First Peter 1, both of these, by the way. Continuing on in that, these, ha- uh, these have come, talking about the trials, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of, great worth than, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
You know, so often in this verse, people look at we're proving our genuineness to God. God knows whether we're genuine. God doesn't need to test your genuineness. Your proven genuineness will be seen by the world and by you. And that's when God gets the glory. When my circumstances are difficult and God's glory is revealed, the same as we saw in Thessalonica. may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see, uh, you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. An inexpressible and glorious joy. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The gospel is far more powerful, far more capable than fixing a circumstance. The gospel is capable of fixing me, fixing you, of taking away hate, and anger, impatience, arrogance. The gospel is extremely capable and powerful. So when you see the psalmist talking about joy, and it's almost always connected with praising God, and that's what I experienced in that parking lot. One made another one happen. It's foreign to many of God's people. This joy inexpressible that leads to glorifying God. You see, that's our goal, to experience God in a way, to trust him in a way that our circumstances lose their power, to call you a name, to define who you are or what you're not. For circumstances to lose their power to say you have a bad day or a good day, for circumstances to lose their power to make you sad or make you happy. Where we allow God through the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place of joy that is not surrendered in circumstance. <clears throat> I was thinking about the testimonies I've heard this often, people that have these powerful testimonies, you know, I was a drug addict, I was an assassin, I did all these things, I came to Jesus, now I can go around all over the world giving my story, it's great. And I know people say, well, I, I wasn't a drug addict, and I honored my parents, and you know, I was a virgin when I got married, and I don't really have any exciting stories. You see, I think we miss the heart of the gospel in that. 
Because if we allow the gospel to transform us, you will be powerfully seen. Just like the people in Thessalonica. When the world can see your hope and see your joy and your peace and your kindness, when the world sees your generosity, when the world sees that on you and they can't explain it, when they know you don't have much money and yet you are, are, are generous with your money, when they know you don't have time and you're generous with your time, when you break something, when they break something of yours and you're kind and you're gracious, when every day you allow the hope and the joy of the Lord to rule your moments, your attitudes and your thoughts, the world will demand an answer for your hope. And in that moment, the drug addict, the assassin, will not have a more powerful story than yours and mine. It's a story of the gospel changing a life, really changing it. If you would stand.